voices It's up to you and me To shine a guiding light and lead the way United by our cause We have the power to pursue what we believe We'll achieve the realization of our dreams Hello there and welcome to this week's edition of New Horizons. I'm Vaughan Benison. Thanks once again for your company. Ricky Chaplin, no stranger to this program, he's a member of staff of Blind Citizens Australia. He joins me now to discuss a conference that he attended recently. I attended the um, the Deafblind World uh, Conference on the, on the Gold Coast. Uh, it was a five-day event. Um, had a couple of workshops be- before the main convention, which I didn't get to. But, um, yeah, it had um, some really good themes this year, looking at um, uh, sort of universal access uh, technology and uh, communication. So, um, yeah, quite, quite a, a varied theme and some a lot of different workshops to choose from. A lot of people may not know that you're the president of uh, DeafBlind Australia. Why don't you tell us about that organisation? Sure. So DeafBlind Australia is essentially the equivalent of Blind Citizens Australia, but for people who are DeafBlind. Um, I think the, the differences between the organisations are that um, DeafBlind Australia has a, a much closer relationship with service providers, but I think that's it's because... The communication challenges for people who are deafblind are so much greater and they really are reliant on services to provide the ability for them to communicate through interpreters, through people with very specialised knowledge in a lot of instances. And so I guess what I am trying to instill as president is that same culture that we have within Blind Citizens Australia around you know, not allowing services to dictate how we should uh, be living our lives as people who are deafblind. Um, that, you know, we should be learning adv- advocacy skills and have the confidence to stand up and say, hey, this is what we want from, from you, the service providers. How many people in Australia are deafblind? Um, I'm not sure of the exact figure, but the, um, the percentage ranges somewhere between 02 to 2%. I think DeafBlind though incorporates um, quite a number of different uh, different contexts. So you can have someone who is born totally deaf but has some vision, uh, and then you know a person who is totally blind has some hearing, like myself, and all you know the different uh, different scenarios in between. Um, so perhaps there's there's more than what's officially recognised when we think about it. Do you think that um, people who are deafblind have fewer opportunities even than uh, than people who are blind do to advocate for themselves? Definitely, yes, I think so. And a lot of that comes down to the communication challenges, I think. Hmm. Um, people who are deafblind aren't necessarily exposed to the same opportunities um, as people who might have one disability are. Um, and uh, when you look at the different types of communication uh, that exist... So you've got Auslan, you've got tactile sign, um, you've got reliance on technology, you've got some people who are verbal. So even within the deafblind community, um, it's very difficult in a lot of instances to communicate with each other as a community because people use quite a different range of communication styles. And tactile signing is not the same thing as Auslan, is it? It's It's not Auslan that you can feel, right? No, that's right. Um, yeah, it's, it is quite different. Um, and 
the the hand signs you know you, you really have to memorize them and use them day to day to, to really get a hold of you know uh, to, to get the language ingrained if you like mm. i can't imagine myself using it at this point because i'm still primarily verbal um and so unless i was going to use it uh every day i, I just don't think i'd remember it uh so you know and the the um the job of interpreting using that method uh, for somebody is really quite taxing. So what tends to happen is uh, you'll have two interpreters doing a shift and they'll change every 15 minutes just because it's, it's um, you know, very, it's quite, quite exhausting physically to keep that um, momentum up, particularly if you're, you know, interpreting a presentation or something like that. So I imagine that uh, that's compounded when you get potentially hundreds of, uh, of people who are deafblind, you know, maybe 20% or 30% of them might be using tactile signing. The, the amount of interpretation needed for something like that must be pretty staggering. How does the, uh, the social networking and things like that work? Um, everything happens at a much slower pace. Um, so even within the meetings at DeafBlind Australia, things seem to move a lot, a lot more slowly because you've got to make sure that um, the person speaking identifies themselves. You have to speak slowly if you're talking uh, using, you know, using verbal communication so that the interpreters can keep up. Um, and you've got to have regular breaks. Um, and in social situations. Um, what I did notice, uh, as opposed to uh, a BCO convention, for example, is that it's a lot quieter because it has to be. Mm. Um, there isn't that spontaneous interaction necessarily that there is at a BCO convention or a social gathering. Um, it, it's, you wouldn't say staged, but it's it's a lot more deliberate. Um, and maybe that's a good thing in some, some instances. But um, yeah, certainly that's what I noticed. And I imagine that the uh, the topics discussed at uh, at that convention would have been very different, for example, from a BCA convention, because um, it, it's mainly aimed at people who have, or I suppose it's specifically aimed at people who have a dual disability. Yeah, there was a lot of focus uh, on education uh, and working with young children, uh, particularly to, to optimise the opportunities that they have to be able to develop good communication skills. And there were some very highly skilled younger people who were deafblind sort of in their, in their mid to late 20s and they were doing very well. But I think you know, the change uh, has, has occurred only in recent years uh, as it's been recognised that exposing children who are deafblind to language very early um, and using what they call total language. So any any method of communication that you like just to get the message across is, is really important. So there's still a lot of focus on that um, at, at the convention, not so much around the advocacy stuff. Um, it's more more around, well, how, how do we optimise quality of life for people who are deafblind? What are the strategies that different countries are using to be able to do it? Um so, yeah, I think that's the biggest difference that I noticed was uh, the, the slant more towards uh, service provision. Mm. Do you think that um, there were outcomes from the convention that will make significant positive change? I think probably the biggest one would be uh, just different, uh, you know, the different countries sharing with each other what they do. So uh, Canada, for example, has some wonderful services in Ontario. They've got dedicated um apartment blocks and it's not what you'd call an institution they're actually you know individual apartments where people who are deafblind uh can uh, can go to live and they've got uh full-time support on site 
they've got what they call interveners. Um, so they're able to go out into the community uh, and, um, you know, function uh, with, with the support that they need to be able to communicate. Um, in Australia, I think, you know, we've got a way to go when it comes to that level of service provision. Uh, the NDIS will certainly help that for people under 65, of course. Um, but even uh, getting the the planners uh, to, to understand that that's the kind of support that people need to be able to access to their community fully, um, you know, I think we, we've got a lot of education to do, but also that's, you know, what these sorts of, uh, of conferences provide is that, you know, it allows other countries to showcase what they're doing. Uh, the next one was going to be in Canada in 2023. So, uh, yeah, it'd be, be really cool if I could get to that. That'd be awesome. Now, you're an independent person. You live on your own and uh, and you live an independent life, but you recently had a rather nasty happening relating to your hearing. Tell us about that. I did. I had a very severe ear infection, which was a result of wax buildup. And I had gone to get the wax cleared out of my ears. And somehow, obviously, some bacteria got in there. And um, it was the, the worst pain I've ever felt in my life. But not only that, um, I wasn't able to tolerate hearing aids. And the wax in my ear had, had pretty much blocked my canals off. So I could barely hear anything. Um, and I was reliant for a while there on an FM system. Eventually that failed. Um, I hadn't had to use it a lot. So the um, the rechargeable batteries just didn't have any life left in them. So, uh, yeah, it was really quite challenging. Even um, one memorable example of what I'm talking about is I went to make coffee one morning and um, I couldn't hear the kettle. So I had to actually go over and feel it vibrating. Um, and then I wanted to heat my coffee in the microwave um, once I'd put some cold milk in it. And I couldn't hear the microwave beeping. It was just lucky I had my, my partner living uh, with me here at the time, which she doesn't always uh, due to you know, particular circumstances. And I was able to get her to heat the microwave. It only occurred to me later that I could use the FM system to give me um, you know, some powerful microphones and headphones so that I could, um, could do those sorts of things. But it really struck me. You know, as a person who was, who was born deafblind, for example, how do you pick up these sorts of very subtle pieces of information. How do you learn that a microwave beeps, for example? How do you learn that a kettle uh, vibrates when it boils and it makes sound? And that you can use these pieces of information as you know, as um, incremental and as subtle as they may appear, they're so important in informing us what's going on uh, just from, from day to day and in, in completing you know, very routine sorts of, of, of household tasks. Also, what can happen too is if you don't have warning that things are going to happen, um, it can actually be quite scary. Mm. Um, another experience that I had was that thankfully that I had the FM system because otherwise I wouldn't have been able to communicate with medical staff. Um, I had my mother attend some of the appointments with me uh, just to try and get the antibiotics and you know that sort of regime sorted out and uh, Paula attended as well. So I would have been okay, but had I had to handle that myself and didn't have the equipment that I did, it would have been ex extremely difficult to demonstrate that, hey, I am articulate. I know what I'm talking about. It's just that I can't communicate with you. It's very much something you take for granted, um, even as a person, you know, who is hearing impaired and uses hearing aids. Uh, it really, you know, it really hit home just what wonderful pieces of technology they are and how advanced they are these days. 
And there's no way that you could predict something like an ear infection. I mean, they, if you haven't got someone with you or someone to support you, you know, how do you seek medical assistance? Is there technology available um, for a person who uh, who is blind, who suddenly loses all of their hearing, to communicate with medical staff? Um, I think really the only way to do it is um, with, you know, thank God for the good old iPhone and Braille display. And uh, 20 years ago, that would have been a lot more difficult. Now, at least I can text somebody and go, hey, I'm in trouble. I'm going to need some help here. Um, and, you know, it, it, that reliance on technology uh, is becoming more and more important. I think not only in those emergency situations, but when we think about, you know, the communication aspect of, um, you know, and the different types of communication, methods of communication that people with deafblind use, the one thing that really you know, has the potential to bridge those gaps is the technology that exists today. Um, so I'm very thankful that I've learned Braille uh, and, you know, wasn't reliant on just the audio from the iPhone to be able to send the text. So, that, you know, again, that, that piece of technology was critical in that situation. Ricky Chaplin there, ending this week's program. If you want more information about DeafBlind Australia, deafblind.org.au is the website, deafblind.org.au. If you'd like to contact Blind Citizens Australia, you can email bca at bca.org.au or indeed you can look at the website, bca.org.au. The telephone number, 1-800-033-660, 1-800-033-660. I'm Vaughan Benison. I'll talk to you again next week. Achieve the realization of a dream of our dream.